Welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh, heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to expand the mental contents of your mind with new representations. We're going to talk about rumination a little bit and some strategies that you might be able to take in order to not ruminate so much, and just how to get your body involved as a means of, uh, of really soothing your mind. So check out today's episode. Today I think we're talking about the maps that we build, the, the models that we build in our mind, um, and the, the things that, that populate up there. And I think this got kicked off because, Angie, you were talking about something very specific that was happening in your mind and in your brain. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I was experiencing something um, a bit annoying. And I was trying to consider whether or not I have um, an obsessive compulsive situation on my hands. Like, do I exhibit some of these, um, as they call them, OC traits? What was happening was, and what happens for me, is I get a song in my head, and it's a particular section of the song. Oftentimes it has like really flourishing instrumentation that plays and then a chorus comes in. Now this is, this is very specific to my condition, right? So it's not just like, you know, a nice little beat and you know, you got a song and that's what plays in my head. This is like complicated, what I would consider complicated music that plays that is often accompanied with words and I get stuck on one part of the song Um, And it plays over and over and over and over and over again sometimes for me, sometimes for weeks. So um, that's the part that's different. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I'm I'm saying, I mean, maybe some people are listening to this and we're like, oh, my gosh, that happens to me, too. Or that never has happened to me. Or she sounds like she's just describing something that happens to everybody. But what happens is it wakes me up at night. Like when I when I wake up in the middle of the night and I open my eyes, it immediately starts playing. Or I will be talking to somebody and it's playing in the background. Or I'm taking a shower and it's playing. So over the summer, it was this song by Lionel Richie called um, All Night Long. Classic. Yeah. And it was the chorus of that. For 80s hits, it's a classic. (laughs) But it was that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It was that like instrument part. And then the chorus comes in all night long. You know, everybody just like starts dancing and clapping. So it was this very specific thing with all of those instruments playing the exact rhythm of it. And then it would come in with the all night long and it would sing that. And then after I get done with the chorus, then my brain starts right back at that instrumentation again. Lately, it's Donny Hathaway's song. Um, singing the song for you I guess that's a song 
And it's um, the very beginning of the song with all the piano runs um, that come in. And then his voice coming in just really clear with, you know, I've been through so many. And then after he sings that part of my head, then I go back to the piano run and I start over again. And that's what's going on. So annoying. I I was going to say, yeah, I mean, sure, lots of people get songs stuck in their head. I I don't think that's unusual. Um, You know, you have a song rankling your brain, but... A week seems that that seems excessive. Like week seems like that's that's crazy. Uh, hmm. And being, I mean, sometimes I might wake up in the morning with a song in my head, but it'll be different the next day. And I've never been woken up by a song. You've like not been. You've never been. That that, that seems. Um, and have you ever had that song? Like a song song that just plays plays over and over, like two, three, four, five days, like that stays. No, that's excessive. I mean, you know that. Like, no. Um, sure, I've had a song stuck in my head, but not more than, not more than a day. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Maybe that's why early religious people were like, "Don't listen to the devil's music." Mm, mm-hmm. Right. You're stuck because, in your head and you can't concentrate yeah. on God. Who knows? <laughs> you can't concentrate. Right. Or can't the concentrate words, on anything. Or the words themselves are damaging because maybe they're telling you to, you know, do something bad and and some other right well sure that right so because if it's happening over and over and over again like how much do you take in i mean you know if i think about the songs that i was singing it's just like dancing all night long i don't know that would be super well i guess that would be super interruptive to my life if i started to actually do the practice of the song i'm not going to right like imagine you were in court <laughs> and instead of listening to the judge you're actually you're singing the song in your head, and That's then you, right. you miss the instruction. That's right. That's right. Anyway, the, the thing that you were trying to figure out. Right. Because this, this is a tangent. Uh-huh. Do you have some kind of obsessive-compulsive thing? <laughs> I think I do. I think that is um, a, a thread there that, you know, obsessive, the, the so the obsessive part is um, the repetition you know, the obsessing over the same thing over and over and over again. There is a compulsion oftentimes with OC. So, you know, common, a, a very common um, example of obsessive compulsive behavior would be hand washing, right? So the behavior, the obsession is I got to wash my hands over and over again. The compulsion is I'm washing my hands over and over and over again. So I don't know about the compulsion for me. Um, but the obsessive part, this like singing this song over and over again, when I'm not really, you know, consciously making that decision, it just pops in. That's that I think is something that feels like my brain is kind of on automatic. And in order for me to do something, which I did, like some, you know, I'd start the song would start playing and I would start intentionally singing another song or making up words or reading something out loud i try to i i try to interrupt the pattern so you know at the brain level i I can't i'm no i'm no neuro anything um but i certainly have uh, i i think about uh, uh the mental representations of what this feels like to me at the at the mind level right and i'm separating brain from mind here because because um, I don't know nearly as much about the brain. However, um, it, it sounds like when I think about how people ruminate, it it sounds almost like 
like a song that's ruminating. Like, do you think that you're a ruminator? Well, why don't, what do you mean a song that's ruminating? Like, oh, like what's that? rumination? Yeah, that's fair. Um, ruminating is my lay sort of description. Is it's when you have an idea that you get stuck in your head. And I mean, I think almost always people use rumination to be a negative idea. I suppose it doesn't technically need to be, but you get an idea that's stuck in your head and you keep going over it and over it and over it and over it and you can't put the idea down. Uh, I think it's akin to worry, but like really, um, like really intense and really acute worrying. Uh, so for example, a, a ruminator, well, I, I know enough people who ruminate. Um, I know a ruminator who, for example, um, you know, had a relationship that wasn't doing very well and uh, she was always concerned as to whether or not uh, her boyfriend at the time uh, actually liked her mm-hmm. or was sort of using her for a particular type of experience. Um, and she would, she would populate all of these scenarios that she thought was tantamount to proof, tantamount to evidence that he enjoyed their conversation, but he didn't really enjoy her or really just wanted to be with her. He just at best wanted a good conversationalist because he was bored in other areas of his life. Mm. Uh, And so it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a series. It wasn't something that was very rote, like a song. It wasn't like, some, it wasn't the same sentence over and over and over again, but it was the same idea that he doesn't like me. He just needs to talk to someone right. he likes. You know, I'm his intellectual, so on and so forth. And she couldn't put that idea down. Yeah. Uh, no matter how many times, you know, you could interrupt it and you could you could dump some some sprinkles of reason in there, and she could see the reason in the moment for like five ten minutes, and then it was back to. It was back to the old idea of, you know, she couldn't put that there. So I, I think of that as rumination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good example of rumination. I think the reason why I wanted clarification is because of that, um, it being an idea that I can't put down. I don't think it's an idea. I think it is, because I don't have, I'm not trying to solve anything by singing the song. I'm not trying to consider what's going on with the song. It just, my brain does this it just like has picked up on this and sings it and I wonder sometimes if it's because I'm so aware I'm so hyper aware that I'm singing it again that it becomes this then I'm kind of in this trap around you know we've talked about on the show before like you know if you say something like don't think about the white rabbit and then the white rabbit just starts showing up in your brain it may be something like that like I become so involved with the my own default process that now I'm I'm kind of creating this thing that I don't want to happen where I don't want to think about the song and there's that song and you know maybe then it kind of gets a life of its own the rumination though um I, I I'm with you I've, I've talked to people like that before too that populate an idea uh, keep populating more and more ideas to support some thing that they think they found evidence for, for like in a relationship or something else and they just keep going over that idea right. over and over as if that is the only thing that they can consider but you are not a ruminator 
I don't think I'm a ruminator. Um, I think, you know, I have ruminated. There are certain things I can, um, I know that I have ruminated on. And if I start to go in that direction, maybe there could be some rumination. Mm. Uh, But I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to expose that, what I would ruminate about. But I don't think for the most part that it's day in, day out for me. I don't think I just think about the one thing and can't get off. Except for these, you know, the songs. Except for the songs. Yeah. Uh, this is an aside. You were talking about this white rabbit thing. I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a spin on, on an example that Dostoevsky used, or maybe Tolstoy. It doesn't matter. I remember the very first time that I, I sort of heard that, this sort of uh, thought experiment, and it's never worked for me. It's never happened for me. What wait? You what do you mean that if somebody says don't think about the white rabbit that that doesn't work? Like you can not think about the white rabbit? Yeah, no, no white rabbit or any other animal happens for me. I, I have to consciously think about the animal in order to get a picture of it, but it's not like an automatic image. Really, Rafa? Yeah. So it's always been like a. I mean, I, I get yeah. the point, right? Like right. I know how other you know, uh, but it's always been like one of those weak sort of. I was like, eh, you know, yeah. It's like look at the flowers, like who. Who cares about flowers? Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, you know, it's the the reason that I asked whether or not um, I was a you you were a ruminator is because again, you know, I have no idea what's happening at the at the sort of neurological level for what's happening for ruminators, um, but. I do think a lot about the, the, the sort of ideas that populate, not just the ideas, the, the objects that populate our mind. So when I say the objects, uh, I have to lean a little bit on this Hindu-Buddhist construct of how they, they see the mind. Um, I, maybe you could think about it. Do you, do you know this concept of like mental objects? I don't think so. I don't know. The, well, I mean, I, I guess also for for our listeners um the 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 sort of hindu buddhist construct of what a mental object is is so if you imagine like an object that exists in space like say you're holding a spoon um in the matrix they would say there is no spoon but if you're if you're holding a spoon you you can see as you observe the spoon and that the spoon is something that you observe you have a fundamental sense that you as the observer are not the spoon you are not the thing being Mm -hmm. observed Mm -hmm. Uh, and the reason this is sort of interesting in I think in the Hindu Buddhist construct of how they see the self and the mind um, and the observer is that there's always a a disconnect between the thing that you're observing let's say the spoon um, and the person or the entity that's doing the the observation right let's call it the observer in the same way, we experience things that pass through our minds. Sometimes they're feelings, sometimes they are thoughts, and a lot of times we will have the sense that we're connected to, that I, like, I am this idea, or more importantly, I am this feeling. So if someone might say, I am sad, the, the ability or the possibility that someone might think of themselves as that sadness, right? I am sad as being one and the same is, you know, I think it happens. And what the the Buddhist Hindu sort of framework is trying to get people to do is to understand that 
yeah, you're, you're having this feeling of sadness, right? This is a feeling that you're having. Mm-hmm. But you can also be aware of the fact that you're having a feeling. Mm-hmm. And that feeling is sadness. Mm-hmm. Right? So you could feel sad, or you could be aware of the fact that you're feeling sad, mm-hmm. or you could be aware of the fact that you're having a feeling, and that feeling is sadness. Um, and the more distance you, could, you can put between you as the person doing the observation of, in this case, an object that is only in your mind, it's a mental object, and the fact that you get to observe it means that you can understand that, one, that the, this mental object, let's say a feeling of sadness, will pass by, just like all other mental objects, and that you are not it. It's different than you. You are not your feelings. You are not your feelings. Mm-hmm. You're not your thoughts. Uh, you are not whatever it is that you think you are in the moment. You're just observing things right. both either in your head or out there in the world. Right. So the thing with these mental objects is that they're, they're mostly populated with the things that we know, our experiences, our memories, the, our, whatever kind of picture that we can conjure. But we do have the ability to introduce new types of, I mean, mostly through new stimulus, or reading books or going to new places, um, moving to a new house or having a new job is going to populate our sort of mental, our mindscape with all of these representations that weren't there before, the new types of, of objects. And I wonder for ruminators, if... You know, I suspect for ruminators that the things that they populate their sort of mental landscape with is they're all the same references over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I wonder if if adding more diversity to that mindscape would help to alleviate their their coming back to so few references over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. You know what um, this this uh, thought around um, you know you don't really come up with these brand new ideas every day you mostly have the same ideas you've always had until something enters in and you're like oh I've never felt like that before and that's the insight right right talking about that and and those kind of insights are the new things um, they don't they don't usually make their way in unless you're doing something very intentional to to bring those in to you otherwise you're just doing the same thing over and over again right yeah no i think that's it and maybe this is part of the difficulty for people uh i mean i'm interested in doing new things sometimes just for the sake of having new mental representation like i do Mm -hmm. things that i hate you know Mm -hmm. Uh, lots of things that i'm like not at all interested in um my friend uh my friend lex put up um he put up a slack line which is sort of like a it's almost like a tightrope and i started doing it and mind you like this entire like circus games and hula hoops and all you know whatever the body movement people right mm-hmm. paint and fire uh that's not my scene at all i you don't go to burning man i would but for all like reasons that would be different than almost everybody else there got it uh i'd go in the sort of anthropological sort of you know social yeah Yeah. um but also that you know i'm interested in building different types of mental representations that are different than the ones that i would naturally gravitate toward only because i know it'll give me 
a diversity of, as I'm talking, I'm not even sure if, maybe I should talk about what a mental representation is. Maybe you should tell me about the slack line. Lex put up a slack line and did you walk on it? So what you're saying is my ADD is all over the place. (laughs) I'm just trying to bring you back to that slack line. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I guess I'll I'll still talk about what mental representation is, but uh, yeah, he put up a slack line and I decided to give it a shot. Not because I thought it would be fun, uh, not because it's my thing, but uh, it was something I didn't know how to do. It was something that was completely outside of my comfort zone. It was something that, I mean, realistically, I had no interest in it for its own sake. Uh, but I tried it. Uh, it was, you know, it was hard to get your balance. Uh, the slack line, unlike a tightrope, a slack line is about maybe two inches wide. So there's a little bit of, uh, I mean, it's two inches wide, right? Um, but still, that's wider than a tightrope. So, it, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get your balance, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. Uh, Lex is a really great coach, so that's helpful. That's cool. Everyone calls him Coach Lex. Um, he used to coach gymnastics, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, he's a really great coach, and I was able to get my balance and stand on one leg. And then eventually, you know, over time, uh, I was able to walk, like, maybe three feet, which, hmm. is, uh, you know, for me, is kind of a big deal. And then mm-hmm. I was done with the experiment. Uh, in that time, though, I had made all these mental representations hmm. uh, about both the process and what I needed to do with my body while I was doing this right. thing. Um, and, again, it was outside of my comfort zone, but it also allowed me to populate my sort of mental landscape with all of these other ideas and feelings and ways of moving my body and emotions that I would not have otherwise. And that was really the payoff for me. It was just adding to the diversity of a ment- of my mental landscape and not really, this is going to be so fun. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to consider how we get to interact with our thoughts and feelings in our brain. Um, and figure out how to do something different that um, kind of takes us away from wh- where we may be stuck. Like if we're a ruminator, for for instance. Um, I'm actually thinking a lot lately about um, the nervous system, though, too. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I have a little story. Um, I went to New York City uh, last week. Last week, I always take my youngest daughter... Um, to New York City for a day trip before she starts school. And we went to this, um, to this Hudson, it, it overlooked the Hudson River, this observation deck that was super, super high. I don't know how high it was, but it's like one of the tallest points in New York City, blah, blah, blah. So there's this part of the, um, the ground that's, that's uh, see-through, like you can stand and look down. So when you're walking on it, it feels... It's like glass? Yeah, it's kind of, well, yeah, you know, it's like some kind of special glass that's not going to break because <laughs> it's like the drop is like 50 feet or something. And I'm really scared of heights. I have a lot of reaction around heights. And um, my daughter was just like, come on, mom, get on. And she was like walking on and walking around. My heart was pounding. My hands were shaking. My head was just like going through a thousand, you know, thoughts a minute. That's an exaggeration around. I know it's not dangerous. What's wrong? It's not dangerous. It's not dangerous. My brain 
was like actively, you know, doing all this rational thought about the lack of danger. It's not dangerous. I know the kid's safe. I know all those people that were like posing for their Instagram posts were, were safe. But I, every time I started to bring my foot to the open glass or what looked like an open um, area, my body would react. And I, I, <laughs> it's funny to say because I couldn't do it. Now, that's not true, right? Because I could. Like, there was nothing wrong with my leg. It wasn't broken. Um, I could not. And I would start to do it and I would just retract my leg. She thought it was hilarious. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, if I do it, I'm pretty sure I'm going to scream. Like, it will be like this automatic response. You're going to be super embarrassed. And I'm pretty sure I don't think I can keep it in. And she's like, just do it. So anyway, it was this, you know, 20-minute probably process of eventually she took my hand. I closed my eyes and I stepped on and then I stepped off. And we were happy. Like, I did it. And that's, that counted. You, wait, you did it with your eyes closed? It counted. I'm telling you that counted. Yes. <laughs> I did it with my eyes closed. But I did step on, which is a lot further than what I had gotten before. But what I'm describing, right, is this um, nervous system response, my autonomic nervous system that was creating all kinds of cues to tell me that I was either going to, I was fight, flight, or freeze. I was just shutting down. And my thoughts were, this is silly. It's not, you are safe. It's nothing's going to happen. My thoughts were not matching my body. And I was so aware of how automatic the responses in, in my body were. My, you know, my heart rate, my shallow breathing, my shaky hands. And, you know, considering later, was there something, you know, far in my past that felt like I got you know, triggered somewhere or something got kind of cemented in my head about heights, you know, being too far away and feeling dangerous. You know, a lot of people are, are scared of heights. But um, what's important, I think, you know, even being the observer of our feelings, I think it's so important, entering new ideas into our, um, populating new ideas so that we don't have to have the same thing over and over again so that we have a, um, a different frame of reference, so important. But also this, this other aspect around, you know, the mon, mind and body connection that's so real. This is why trauma is studied. This is why, you know, our brains can do like what I was doing, like activating something um, in a way that was creating all kinds of things around whether or not I could step on that glass or not. So that's a, that's a big part of this. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing about the animal. So I guess when I'm listening to that, when I'm listening to how your your body is responding, irrespective of sort of what you know cognitively, what I hear is, and I think we always have to consider the the animal that we are, right? Uh, I mean, humans are animals, and uh, humans are funny animals. Um, One of the things that I think is, you know, if you're ever watching like a... uh, if you're ever watching like a horror movie and uh, people scream, mm-hmm. that that scream is like such an animal scream. I mean, it's the sound of mm-hmm. a human animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it's such an animal scream because if you're watching like a horror movie in any language, culturally, like people screams sound, like women's screams pretty much all sound like women's screams anywhere in the world. And the same is true for men's screams, right? I, I think that men's screams sound different than women's screams. 
say that five times fast. Um, but uh, it's still, you get this animal reaction of fear. Like the same thing you would, uh, like if a monkey got attacked by an alligator, if that thing happens in nature, I'm not sure if it does. Uh, but, but if you could imagine that monkey sure. screaming, right? like that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the, the, the animal fear, that sort of animal fear that your body was just feeling. And no matter what you were trying to do cognitively, mm-hmm. you just couldn't overcome it. At least not with your eyes open. Right. Um. <laughs> I did. A, I, it counts. I still say I count. Yeah. But yes, I couldn't. And, and the body, you know, we, that, that's, it's important to pay attention to. This is the regulating part of us, you know, that people with trauma or people that have these, um, kind of responses to things in life that it feels like I mean this this really that moment gave me so much pause around at times when I've worked with clients and I'm, I'm trying to help them with the cognitive aspect of their brain to say think through this you know your fear is irrational so what is rational thought here but you know, that response to me, like I was, I could have a thousand rational thoughts and I was doing it. Right, but it wasn't enough. It was not enough. I couldn't, my body was so geared in this mammalian response for a fight or flight. And I, I couldn't, you know, I, I was having to pay attention to my body before I could do something with my brain. Yeah, I think you really do have to do something with your body. For me, that feels like it's the way forward. You know, I think getting your your body involved is going to be critical. I mean, there are some things that you can do cognitively. I I do a lot cognitively, right? Like, I don't dance. I don't... um, I try to do everything up top. But certainly, you know, when I'm working with clients and it seems like it's not enough just to to hash out the ideas, then we got to get you moving in some way. Something as simple as walking Mm. and doing the same type of work. Or having them feel deeply or just being present in their body or whatever it is. Uh, But if we think about the entire nervous system, and the entire nervous system knows stuff, right? Things that I don't, I think we overload our idea of, or we we pedestalize the brain Mm -hmm. as the center for all of our knowledge. I I just don't think that's the case. I think it's the leftover from this sort of Cartesian division of the world. Uh, but our, our entire nervous system is aware of stuff. Um, I mean, you think about the, the gut brain, mm-hmm. right? And just this huge ganglion of like nerves mm-hmm. and you know, the brain, the your gut brain, your the cluster of nerve cells that's in your stomach, like it knows things sometimes before your brain does. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I can think of a particular example. Some. Well, it's not super pleasant, but sometimes your brain, your your gut brain, the in your stomach, will make decisions um, that have nothing to do with 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 uh, like sometimes when people get afraid, they will um, they like poop their pants or peel themselves or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's all like that's all like a gut brain decision, right? Mm-hmm. Like your your brain didn't decide mm-hmm. that. Uh, your gut brain is like, we need to run. Let's go ahead and poop these pants. Mm-hmm. Make yourself a little lighter. And let's go, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, but, but the point is, you know, we, we think of all this cognition as being um, 
and all of our knowledge is being sort of embodied in the brain but that that's not really the case like our our what we know is distributed throughout our, the entirety of our right. nervous system um and I, I think getting i think it's a mistake to not get the body involved right? especially when when you're having a bodily fear like you, right. you just got to get the body involved yeah i guess that's the difference between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system right the sympathetic nervous system is that which prepares us for like movement like you know it that's when we're if we're running and we you know poop our pants to get rid of whatever's going to weigh us down and the parasympathetic is that kind of fight flight or freeze right am i saying that right I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You got but it. yeah, but yeah, and the parasympathetic is um, that's the increase in heart rate, in blood pressure, and calming that. You know, oftentimes if we're telling somebody, "Don't be afraid," and you're talking about the gut brain, right? The gut brain that it's it is um, triggered by past events, and we're saying, "No, you're fine. It's okay." But the gut brain is saying, "No, I'm not okay." It's, it's not going to just change for that person because you have, you've told them that, that the truth is you're fine. Um, and I do think it is that concert that we have to remind people that we're working with, not what, that we're working with, but we're all working with this concert of mind and brain and body, all of it, all of it matters. Um, and taking care of like, you know, even when I was on the roof, uh, you know, noticing my heart rate, I, I was slowing my breathing down because I, I was aware that I needed to, it may sound funny, but I, I had to communicate with my body that I wasn't in danger. And I knew that my body was responding to danger because my heart rate was so fast. And I know that mentally I can lower my heart rate by bringing my breathing down, which would then be the communication of my body that maybe I don't have to run or, or, or freeze. Like, my heart rate's going to drop and then my body's saying oh maybe we're not in danger anymore because my breathing started uh, getting shallow quickly right which then elevated everything in my body to say this is dangerous so i just continued to take care of my body and was funny like pulling my leg up and feeling it shaky and then putting it down i realized even when i stepped on with my eyes closed i thought I need to smoothly bring my leg over because part of what's happening <laughs> is that every time I lift my, my leg, it shakes and I want to I want to stop down. I don't want to do it. So yeah, that that was some of me some of the ways that I was activating my body so that I could calm down and communicate like the concert of my mind and thought and body could be you know kind of uniformly together in that moment. Well, I'm glad you guys worked it out. Like your, your mind and your body sounds like they were at odds, uh, but you did it. You know, you, you had to smoothly move your leg over. I did. I had to uh, calm. That is quite an accomplishment. Yeah. I, you know, there, there's another interesting. For me, I found it interesting, uh, sort of bodily aspect there, um, but maybe in the other direction. It, it's it's sort of looking at your body on automatic and what you can do, even to sort of break up that. I'm sure this is not a word, but I'm going to say it anyway, like automaticity of like whatever it is that mm. your, your body is doing. Uh, there is a chiropractor uh, that I really like. His name is Dr. Joe Dispenza. He, he steps outside of his area of expertise a lot, but I think he has some really good insights. Uh, his insight that I like the most is, so 
you know, in science in general, what happens is people use a lot of metaphorical talk just because it's easier to convey messages that way. So you might talk about what one group of bacteria wants to do uh, if if there is the presence of uh, a foreign invading bacteria. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but the idea of wanting is actually past the capability of, of bacteria, right? And so you can talk about what this bacteria or what a virus wants to do or what a virus is trying to do. Mm-hmm. There's no trying, there's no effort, there's right. no, you know, it's all chemical signals mm-hmm. and electrical mm-hmm. signals. Um, but it's still easier, you know, even at any science level, it's still easier to talk about a, a sort of giving a, an animus, giving a spirit to, you know, the bacteria wanting right. or the virus wanting. Um, and, you know, we find the same thing when we talk about um, the mind and even when we talk about the brain there are some of the things that the brain is trying to do this we're trying to you know the brain is trying to protect itself uh, but we we skip over a lot of the mechanisms that's in between one of the things that Joe Dispenza does he actually talks about the sort of chemical and electrical processes really from point A to point B Um, and I I find that part really interesting this is one of the things I I find compelling about him Um, and he has this suggestion about the sort of normal chemical state that that looks at the, the neurotransmitters that your body is producing the most, and also the neuroreceptor sites in your cells uh, that have become most, uh, you know, most most uh, populated and most just like ready for mm. that particular right. chemical makeup. And then he proposes that, you know, this, this is your normal state, right? That if you are living in fear and you've been living in fear for a long time, fear is not just this, uh, just this emotion. That it, it has a chemical composition. Whatever the fear that you're feeling at that time has a chemical composition, right? And yeah, no- He describes that as what, what fires together is wired together. Right. Uh, this is Hebb's law, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there's this electrical impulse that happens. This is the firing and wiring. So sort of the impulse for when you see, when you see a stimulus that, that is going to trigger fear. And, you know, first thing you need to do is see the stimulus. Uh, and then you have to make meaning out of it. All of that is happening at the firing and wiring level. Mm-hmm. But then there's a, a chemical response that follows that. And your body is going to be flooded with... I don't know, epinephrine or something, right? Like, I don't know all the... Uh, but you're going to be... Adrenaline is probably mm-hmm. more like... more, uh, and, and as your body... But that adrenaline response that you are going to have, it still needs neuroreceptor sites at, at, your, at your cell level that need to sort of interact. So, you know, a neurotransmitter and a neuroreceptor, neuroreceptor, they fit together, sort of right. like a lock and a key. Right. Um, and his proposal is that you can you can interrupt that pattern um, consciously mm-hmm. by trying to break your body out of it. Yeah. Um, and I sort of under his, you know, trying to do what he suggested. Uh, one one I guess it was a year ago. Maybe it was, maybe it's two years ago. I don't know. I remember sitting in a meditation. Uh, it was the longest meditation I had done, and I think up until that point, I like forty-five minutes was as long as I could go. And then maybe I pushed it to an hour, but 
one of these days I decided, you know, what will happen if I try for three hours? So I, I gave it a shot. I was like, three I'm, hours is a long, I'm gonna, long I didn't time. get there. Wow. Uh, what happened is about an hour and a half in to the meditation, I, I started, I started getting really bored. Like I wanted it to be over. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm done with this. It's like an hour and a half. Who needs to meditate that long? I'm done. But I also knew that I had a goal, which was three hours. And an hour and a half in, I'm ready to abandon this goal. And then I remember Joe Dispenza saying that be prepared for your body to push back. Okay. Right? Your, your body is going to start generating chemicals because it's uncomfortable. And you're going to interpret those chemical responses in the form of some internal talk that... Um, you don't need to do this, right? Like, you don't need to, you know, your, your mother-in-law, you never liked her anyway. You don't have to go to this thing. So on and so forth. Right. Uh, that you're going to get this negative talk once you're starting to get your body to do something that that it doesn't want to do. And the same thing happens in running. Like, you start running past, you know, wherever it is that you're comfortable. <laughs> like, your body's going to start telling you stuff mm-hmm. like, look, just quit. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I mean? Like, how important yeah. is this race anyway? Um and so I think because I had that, that heads up that I, I, and I knew that I had a three hour goal, I just pushed through this desire to, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't strong. It was just like, nah, I'm done with this. But I, I stayed the course about an hour and 45 minutes into it. I, I start panicking. Whoa. Like, panicking. I start panicking. My heart starts racing. Uh, I started having this fight flight response that was so strong um, that at some point it like it was the equivalent of it felt like the equivalent of being in a room with a rabbit dog. Like I I felt like I was going to be attacked because your body was just saying this is not a normal state. Something's wrong. Right. That's why my body was completely revolting. Right. And I was terrified at the body level. That's crazy. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cognitively, I knew that I'm alone in this room. Right. I'm safe. Right. Right. I I can't even really meditate anymore. It's just like I'm thinking about what I'm feeling and like what my brain needs to do to tamp that down. But cognitively, I know that I'm in this room. I know that I'm safe. I know that there's not a predator in here with me. I know that I'm terrified, and I know that there's no reason to be terrified, except Joe mm-hmm. Spencer was like, your body's going to revolt. I said, this mm-hmm. is my body revolting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I got to say, like, it was very hard to, to push What'd through you do? that. I just stayed the course. I, I was panicky for what seemed like five minutes. It was probably wow. actually a minute. Um, but it was like a really long minute, right? It was like, I, and I don't know how long it was. Uh, what I do know, I was terrified. And then it broke, right? Then I got to the other side. And when you say break, like it just stopped? Like you were like, oh, done, gone. So all of the fear subsided. Okay. I mean, once my, my mind had won over my body, right? Like That's wild, yeah. So the fear subsided. Mm-hmm. And then all of this other stuff started happening. Right? And so it was like... I don't know how, I, I literally don't have a way to describe this, but it was like, it was like all of the knowledge of the universe was just dumped into my head. Okay, now you're like, we're, we're in the matrix, I'll right. say. 
It was just like, <laughs> now I understand all of it. And, and maybe, you know, probably, if I had to think about it in a scientific way, um, it could have been uh, the integration of yeah. all of... Because I mean, you're... Right. Yeah, every, everything that your brain sees is taking in anyway. And you're making... Even if you don't make sense of it, even if you don't store it in your consciousness, there's still all this information that your body has to process anyway, or mm-hmm. has to see and then filter through. Mm-hmm. So if I were trying to take a scientific stab at a non I mean, it's very easy for me to explain this in spiritual terms, but if I, if I try to put it in scientific language, I, my best guess mm-hmm. is that it was an integration of my nervous system mm-hmm. after um, after pushing it past uh, uh, it, its comfort zone for for so long, sure. but still being in a safe That's, environment. That sounds yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like you know what if I'm thinking, what I'm hearing you. It's if you've never gone um, around this one wall, you don't know what's behind that wall, and you've never ever seen it. It's like kind of like you made your way past that wall that you've never seen behind before um and that's what it looks like you know because you know you've not perhaps ever gone to this place where you've pushed that far usually what we all do is that we figure out a way to make ourselves comfortable again we're not going to sit in the discomfort that long and that's a long time to meditate that's a long time to keep pulling your brain back to a state of meditative quality too i mean i can't even imagine that I mean, I can, but it seems like that would be so hard. But yeah, I think you took your brain into some, you know, some place it's never gone. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's an apt metaphor. It was, it was like being on the other side of a wall that I, I didn't even know existed. Right. It's like the Truman Show. It's like, right. been, you know, like, oh my gosh. It was the Truman Show and the Matrix all right. like... <laughs> yeah, that's really very cool. That's a great example. And I think even hearing that, that's inspiring because I... I, I think there for our bodies and our minds, you know, we are so accustomed to being on this very low level of whatever it takes to get through a moment or a day. Right. That's the default. That's to be expected. It's not like, you know, we should be, you know, neuro and, you know, only the <laughs> listening to the every the call on the other side all the time. We can't. We gotta get things done. But I do think that that is an inspiring story to say that there is a way to continue to push and push until you get to something you've never seen before. Right. Um, and it's possible. And I think it's also possible in those small moments. I mean, maybe I don't want to take it away from myself that I actually stood on that weird part of the section in New York. But, you know, had I had time and gotten past something enough that I stood, I would have been standing quite literally, on something I'd never stood on before as well. I mean, I did it to a degree, which I was happy with, and we had things to do. We had brunch reservations. Right. So I, I, you know, I did what I needed to do. But I think even just in that moment, you know, those are the moments that we can say, how do we get past, how do I move past this just a little more than I've never moved past before, and what's on the other side of that? I gotta say, listen, I totally, I totally agree. I think that you're absolutely right. And, you know, even if you don't, Listen, you're right. Like, not every... It, it's hard to find a time. It's just like, I'm going to sit and meditate for two and a half hours. I mean, it's fine, right? Uh, but even something as small as doing something new. So, you know, now it's time for me to visit, revisit the idea of the mental representation. You know, at, at its core, um, at its core, you could think of a mental representation as a space that your mind holds for an object. 
Uh, say, for example, uh, anyone who is listening here probably knows the animal that goes woof, woof. Mm-hmm. Right? And even though in reality there's not a single animal that would ever actually make that sound other than a human, you still have. You can connect it. Right? You yeah. know exactly the animal that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, I don't know. If you're listening and you're not a native English speaker, uh, in English that sound is is it's uh, connected a to a dog. Oh, right? okay, yeah. That was a joke. Okay, I was going to say, just, well, <laughs> don't confuse the people in China. Um, but yeah, no, in, in English, you, you connect that sound to a wolf because you have enough mental representations of what a puppy is, what a dog is, what dog poop looks like, and right. you, you wouldn't confuse it with bear poop, right? There are all these yeah. things that you associate with this idea of this dog and dogness. Right. Um, but we also have mental representations of things that are in our everyday environment. So if you were to, um, say, say you were to, to come out to where your car is parked, and then your your car isn't there, right? The map that you, when you were walking away from, right. from your car, the map that was still in right. your head is your car was parked next to the white BMW. That's right. Now, here's the white BMW, no car. Right. You're like, oh, uh, my car got stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might do something like look to the ground to see if there's any glass. If there's no glass and it doesn't look like anything weird happened, mm-hmm. maybe you think you got towed. These right. are all sort of mental right. representations. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and I think we, we can consciously choose to do one of two things. So, you know, our mental representations really allow us to, to build a map in two ways. One, when we have multiple representations of one sort of thing, uh, both wolf and dog poop and dog and puppy or they're different representations of the same idea. Mm-hmm. But you could also have richer uh, representations of one thing as well. So your representation go both wide as well as deep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think by, you know, especially if you are a ruminator, or even if you're not, right? If you just really want to change the, the, the ideas in your mind, the, the, the landscape of your mind is just like me on a slack line, you can just choose to start putting in new representations of things right. that you would not have. And that, in and of itself, like, so I'd like to use my hands here, but people can't see this. If you were to imagine that you're the, the entire contents of your mind is a foot long. And mostly ideas, and this, I think, it plays on this idea you were talking about earlier about an insight if if all of the ideas that we have um they're constantly circulating around they're always in this uh we're always regurgitating them we're rarely having new ideas even when it feels like we're having new ideas we're mostly just rehashing whatever like different versions different permutations of the things that we've already thought before and like you said earlier when you do have a completely novel idea it hits you in a different way there's like a it's like oh i never thought about that before Oprah calls it like an aha moment. Mm-hmm, she does. Um, but, you know, it's an insight. It was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is a genuine thought that has never occurred to me before. Right, I was right. like, huh, it's wondrous. Um, but mostly your brain is stuck in a loop. And it's having that conversation with itself and all these different permutations all the time. So in that one foot of, of your mind space... If you start adding new insights, right, it's necessarily going to grow the entire contents of your mind by an inch 
or by two inches or by three inches. So you're expanding, you're expanding really like the entirety of your mental contents. Mm -hmm. And you can do that purposely mm -hmm. just by having new experiences. Right. Like I, I started taking cold showers recently um, and I had to get used to it. But that also expands, you know, you can start learning a language, reading books. You started helps. taking cold showers to expand, like having a different experience. Yeah, just to life. have a different experience. And I don't know, it, it has started. To build something different. Right. Yeah. Um, it has started. I've started to, you know, think of the world in ever so slight. It's not like night and day, but I think of the world ever so slightly differently than I did before I started the cold showers. Okay. Um, so yeah, adding anything, adding anything new to your repertoire or just to the way that you see the world, um, any of that kind of stuff is expansive. Yeah, it's interesting because even as you're talking, you know, as considering how we started the show when you said what's going on with you and I talked about all night long, that song with Lionel Richie and Donny Hathaway song. And as we've continued to talk, you know, I, I am doing things like, so currently... In these days that I've been experiencing, it has been the Donny Hathaway song that's still happening to me every day. <laughs> still. In fact, as we were talking about it, uh, as we were talking here on this podcast, it started playing. And I was like, there it goes. <laughs> but here, here's something kind of as we've come to the end here, and you even just were describing the situation, the cold shower and building something new. I was saying, well, I've done, you know, I have inserted things that I try to do to get it to stop. I'll read out loud. Um, I'll start singing another song quickly. And I'll do that. And even as I was considering what I've been doing to try to move away from it, it's these little moments of what I've always known to do. Interrupt the pattern. Do something different. Figure it out for that minute. It probably lasts like a couple minutes. Maybe I get my brain off of it. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, there it goes again. I was thinking, what would be something so magnificently new? Mm. You know, and so here's an extreme example. What if every time I started, to, and I'm not going to do this because I don't have the time or the bandwidth, but if I started to hear the song in my head, I went and took a cold shower, which would be like explosively right. different, right? But then I was thinking, well, maybe it's I have, you know, a song by, by Handel or Bach or something that I have on my phone that I put on every single time that song starts to be inserted in my brain. And it's not just this moment, like, let me jump off of this for a second and then I'll move on. It's like, no, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do something completely disruptive mm. and interruptive. And it's going to be a process. It's not just that this is playing in my brain. It's a signal for me to move into a different habit. That's right. To connect it with a whole other process in my life instead of just seeing it as the interruption I have to get rid of. Maybe I integrate it. Maybe I take it and say, oh, there's my cue. This is when I do 30 sit-ups or 25 jumping jacks. Right. Right? And that I make it a part of the cue of my life. So that's my, oh, that's my aha moment today. That's, that's my right. Inside. And it gets the body involved. That's so, right. yeah, that works. Well, look at us just chit-chatting away. I guess we got to go. <laughs> I certainly hope that the listeners have found some value in this. Exactly valuable for me there. I got some out of it. Um, follow us on, on Instagram, subscribe, and let your friends know. And we will see you in definitively two weeks. See ya. <laughs>